0: This is a re-recording of Sunday service. There were some problems with the tech. So we're reading. The reading is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, through to chapter 5, verse 10. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare, For the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he is to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have to become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him, and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. So I think, as many of you know, Amy and I have recently bought a house in Pentwyn. so firstly, if you've been praying, thank you for your prayers. As we started the packing up process, I've started asking myself this question more and more. Do we need this? Do we really need this? You know, I, I never wear this shirt. We never use this kitchen gadget. I didn't even know we had this. Do we really need this? Can we get by without it? Or perhaps even more alluring, can we buy a newer, better version of it? It's a trivial example, I know. But throughout our lives, we do this sort of evaluation process, don't we? This item, this person, this hobby, at one point probably seemed indispensable. Then time passes and, something happens an event in our life happens and all of a sudden we find ourselves asking do i really need this that's what the hebrews were asking themselves about the lord jesus at one point he meant everything to them now they weren't so sure it was persecution that had caused them to ask do i really need this christian faith do i really need the hassle that comes with it perhaps i was better off back then than i am right now today we're thinking about a high priest, which is something that every single human being needs. But in order to understand why that is the case, we have to jump back uh, to some verses from last week's passage to understand why we need a high priest. So you're going to find out uh, two things you need and what you have in Jesus. So the first thing you need is you need to hear from God. Now it's probably not surprising to to be sitting in church, well, listening to a sermon and hearing, you need to hear from God. If you've got a cynical mind like me, you might think, well, obviously, Dave has to say that because he gets his wages from God. Well, so it's a good point. Even if I wasn't in paid ministry, I would still be utterly convinced that you need to hear from God, even if I wasn't paid to remind you. Why is that the case? Well, you'll notice often on the news, whenever they're talking about a topic or subject, they try to get the experts in on the subject. So recently we've had uh, experts in viruses and economists, economy experts, over the past few years. The reason you need to hear from God more than anyone else is because he is the expert on all things. Why? He is the creator of all things, which means he is the expert on all things. You need to hear from God more than you need to hear from the experts. The new chancellor, the the latest influencer on social media, your granny. She's obviously an expert. You and I have a real need to hear from God. And here's the good news. He speaks to you. He speaks to you through his word, the Bible. He's not a silent God, he is a speaking God. Ricky Gervais, in one of his shows, calls the Bible a dusty old book. It's a striking image, isn't it? Uh, a book left on the shelf, forgotten about, seemingly irrelevant. But if you look down at Hebrews 4 verse 12, you find such a different description of the Bible. We read, for the word of God is alive and active. So the book you are hopefully holding in your hands is not a dead book. It's full of life. It's active. What does that mean? Well, to be alive and active means to be involved in energetic pursuits. So anytime you open your Bible, it is doing something. It is working on you. Whenever you open your Bible and read a verse of the day, read it to your little children, to each other, it is doing something to them and it's doing something to you because it is alive. It interacts with you and engages with you. It's not just a filler or a ritual or, you know, we sort of cross our fingers and hope it's going to be relevant. God's word is always working. So if you are feeling distant from God, I feel like you haven't heard from him, open his word and let him speak. And if that sounds daunting or intimidating to you to, to read the Bible yourself, talk to someone. Talk to someone from church, they'd love to help you, or read the Bible with you, perhaps. I mentioned that whenever God's Word is opened, it goes to work in us. So what is this work? If it's something that we need so desperately, what is the work that God's Word does? Well, here's a bit of a disclaimer. You do need to hear from God, but it's going to hurt. There's a warning, it's going to hurt. We read, the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Such a vivid image, isn't it? It's a, it's a gory picture, really. God's word cuts people to their very core. And this is an image that the ancient uh, the Hebrews who are reading this have been so familiar. The sword, the ultimate up-close and personal weapon. You know, cutting into people, cutting through people. Very gory, isn't it? And notice with me, it's sharp, which means the Bible is always sharp. It never gets dull. It never needs resharpening or re-updating. It's an ancient text, yes, but it penetrates through the ages to whenever you're listening to this, to speak to you. The, the writer of the Hebrews is already showing that, hasn't he? He's just taken a story from Old Testament Israel and directly applies it to his, to his readers. He says, you are not so different to these people. You are prone to wonder, prone to rebel, prone to drift away. You are just like them. You need to hear from God. And why is that? Well, Because God is the expert on the human heart. So you, as a human with a heart, need to hear from him. Now, health and safety officers in the room will probably think, well, a sword is a dangerous weapon. It's very dangerous. And and you're right. A sword in the hands of the wrong person can be used for great harm. And we've seen that down the ages, haven't we? People manipulate and use the Bible for their own selfish ends. You know, We've seen that people use the Bible to try to justify slavery. But whenever the sword is in the, the right hand, it, it it can be used for good. You know, same, same example, isn't it? The abolishment of slavery was um, William Wilberforce and John Newton used the Bible to show actually that slavery is wrong. So in the right hand, the Bible can be used for immense good. It's a dangerous weapon, so wield it carefully. Let's read on in verse 12. It penetrates even to divide in soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Whenever we hear from God, it cuts through us. It doesn't sound pleasant, right? But it's helpful as well. Because it cuts through everything. It cuts through all the distractions, the clutter, all the things that we think we need. The work we haven't done. The children we've left in Sunday school. The relationship we're struggling in. The mask that we wear so everyone thinks we're doing okay. The Lord is the expert on the human heart. He knows it. And his word judges our heart. Which, again, is a scary thought, isn't it? The, these Hebrews reading, it would have felt the sting of these words, just like you and me. How do we feel whenever we consider God knowing our hearts? Verse 13 tells us, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The SV's translation is more literal here. It says that everything is naked and exposed before the eyes of To him, of him, to whom we must give account. It seems like the author is using language from Genesis. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and they were left naked and exposed before God. Are we left naked and exposed when we read God's word? Well, the most skeptical person of the Bible would probably tell you that the Bible says a lot about what is right and what is wrong, and they do not like being judged. They don't want to hear from God, so they don't listen to him. They ignore him. They They do not want to hear what God has to say. Why is that? Because they don't like being naked and exposed. The human inclination whenever we are exposed as lawbreakers is to hide, right? This past week I got a letter in the post and in in this letter that I received it it said that um, the owner of a vehicle is charged with going 35 miles per hour in a 30 zone. And as the owner of that vehicle naturally I am gutted. I immediately want to hide the fact that I'm a lawbreaker. I want to sweep it aside but I had a bit of a problem though because this letter was originally addressed to somewhere in Northern Ireland Uh, and to those who don't know I'm from Northern Ireland and it went to the house that my mum and dad live in. They open the letter and read that their son is a lawbreaker. I'm naked and exposed as a lawbreaker before those who know me, love me, and have told me that it's wrong to break the speed limit. Whenever we read God's word, we are exposed as lawbreakers and sinners. There's a letter sent straight to heaven, and the God who created us knows us, loves us, and tells us how we ought to live, knows that we are guilty. So what does God do? He provides a high priest, which is the second point. This is what you need. A high priest. If you're following along in your Bibles, we're going to jump down to chapter five, verses one to four, where we'll be learning and thinking about what a high priest is and does. It's a bit of a job description and a personal specification, if you will. You may be listening and thinking, "Okay, amazing. This is the bit I can zoom out of." Well, here's a wee warning for me For my uh, life this past week, I'd mentioned in a previous sermon that. Amy and I have been watching a TV series and the other night we decided to skip an episode of it because we read the blurb about what it was, well, what the premise was and we thought that's not going to be that interesting or that important so we'll skip it. We're Probably sitting there thinking complete madness, I know. We started the next episode and something had happened which totally affected our understanding of the bigger picture. We had a gap in our knowledge about what had happened so we had to go back and listen again. If you have a gap in your knowledge about a high priest, whenever we sing later, before the throne of God above, you won't really know what it means to have a great high priest whose name is love. It'll be empty whenever you sing that, because it's not full of knowledge of what it means that Jesus is your great high priest. So there, there's why you should listen to this. So let's go. So the first thing you need to know about a high priest is that they are appointed. So every high priest is selected from among the people. This is reading from verse 1 and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Then jump down to verse 4, and no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. A high priest in the Old Testament was not voted in like a president or prime minister, rather it was an appointment made by God. It was a gift given to Aaron, the brother of Moses, whose title was then passed down through the generations to each son. It's kind of like how a king or a queen's mantle will be passed on. So why does this matter? Well, the high priest role wasn't something that could be earned. It wasn't something that you could politically manoeuvre into. It was a gift. You couldn't earn it. So the high priest was supposed to be a humble man who recognised that the job that he had been given, called out for, was to serve God's people. It was a privilege. It wasn't something that he should lord over others. You know, with many of these characteristics of uh, of the high priest, we can make some general applications to those who serve in Christian ministry and the Christian life, which is, humility should be one of the characteristics we look for in Christian leaders, workers and missionaries. There should be people that we recognise aren't in it for gaining status and recognition and power, but those who want to humbly serve their Lord first and foremost and then people. So next, the role of a high priest is to Represent God's people. So, look down at five, verse one. We read that every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So, the purpose of the high priest's appointment was that he was to be the representative of God's people before Him. If that sounds a wee bit jargony for you, maybe a bit, um, not a better way. Another way of understanding it is like an ambassador. An ambassador's role is to represent their government in other countries. So the high priest's role was to uh, represent the people before God. He had to represent humanity and he had to offer sacrifices. If you want, you can look at Leviticus 4 and Leviticus 16 to find out more about what the high priest is doing here. The, The technical term for what the high priest was doing whenever he offered sacrifices was the word expiation expiation. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, it means uh, to make reparation for guilt or wrongdoing, to make amends for guilt or wrongdoing. Still not clear? Uh, Think back to my speeding ticket. Expiation for me is to have to pay a fine and go on a speed awareness course. That will deal with the penalty of my wrongdoing. So the high priest offered up a sacrifice of bulls and goats as an offering for people's wrongdoings. And he did that annually on the day of Yom Kippur, a Jewish festival, which means the Day of Atonement. The high priest, and only the high priest, would enter the most holy place in the tabernacle, which is kind of like the Old Testament temple on wheels, and put the blood of these animals on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. These animals symbolically paid for these sins, the the, the crimes, the law-breaking of God's people. The people of Israel knew that this is what their high priest was doing on that day. It was a tremendous day in the calendar. Because they had a striking visual reminder for the price of their sin. That these animals had to die for their sins. That someone else got the punishment that they deserved. It would have re- led them to worship as they remember that God is gracious and merciful. Sometimes we think, oh, it would actually be helpful to have a visual reminder in in church about some of these things. And actually whenever we have communion, we have this visual reminder, don't we? That someone else had to die for our sins that someone else got the punishment that we deserved. Communion should lead us to worship as we remember that God is gracious and merciful. So the high priest represented the people before God. So he was appointed and he represents people before God and he can only do so because of sacrifice. So appointed, represent, next, the high priest is to sympathise with God's people. So let's read from verse 2. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness, so the high priest was not to have favourites he was to be known as the one who dealt gently, which means in a caring, considering, or considerate loving, and patient manner, he should go towards those people society would have had the least amount of time for. He was to go to the ignorant those who were committing sins and were unaware of the damage it was doing to the community. To, to the drifting, those on the fringes of the Israelite community, those who were tempted to go back to Egypt. You know, our natural human brain says, you know, survival of the fittest, leave these people behind. They're not important, they're irrelevant. But remember, the high priest is a representative of all God's people. All of them. There's no room for exclusivity. Why? Why is this the role of the high priest? Well, because he's a representative of all the people, and like all the people, he too was subject to weakness. So we read in verse 2, since he himself is subject to weakness. The term subject to weakness could literally be translated as wrapped in weakness. If I was wrapped in in a fur coat or a blanket right now, it would be very plain to see, right? If I was walking down the street, it would be obvious to everyone, they'd be like, who is that geezer in that weird fur coat? So, the high priest's weakness, his humanity, is evident. He, like them, is prone to wander, prone to unbelief, prone to hardness of heart, tempted to drift away, just like them. Which means he has to have compassion on them, as he is not above their struggles. Like them, he also sins. Which is what we see in verse 3, right? This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. The high priest, whenever he was offering his sacrifices, was to remember that the sacrifices were not just for the people he was representing, but for him himself. He needed the sacrifice just as much as them. Hopefully it's obvious whenever you hear the gospel preached, that the one preaching is just as much in need of saving as those listening. The high priest couldn't you know, say, this is for those dirty people out there, this isn't for me. No, the high priest was a sinner too. So, the job of the high priest has been laid out, but we see in it the the sort of fault line. The high priest was not perfect. They needed someone better, a better high priest, a better sacrifice to bring them to God. So, in light of that, the Hebrews has been reminded that they have an infinitely better high priest for their great need, which is our chance to consider what we have, the Lord Jesus you know, every new year, Apple bring out a new iPhone, and though they try to big it up as an incredible event, the event could be summed up as, like the old iPhone, but a wee bit better. There's probably techie people listening to this right now who are absolutely berating me and saying I don't know what I'm talking about. But whenever you think about that image, the high priest that the, the Hebrews, and therefore us, have is not just a wee bit better, you know, just slightly different to the, the Old Testament ones. It's, it's like... You know, comparing the iPhone 14 with a carrier pigeon. Jesus is just so much better than any other thing we think we need. He's so much better than the Old Testament high priests. So let's think through some of those sort of job description and characteristics of the high priest and think about how Jesus is better in all those areas. He has a better appointment and representation. So let's look down at verses 5, 6 and 10 of chapter 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And was designated, in verse 10, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus, like Aaron's lineage, were appointed by God. Which is striking, isn't it? Jesus was a humble man who didn't take it upon himself. His appointment was made by God. And it was different, one, because he's the son, and second, because he's in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek. We don't have time to go into this in great detail, but this is what the author often does in his letter, right? He introduces an idea that he will then expand upon in a later chapter, which he does in chapter 7. So we'll be getting more of a deep dive then. I'd love to say that it'll be Matt doing that sermon, but actually it's me. So you'll find out more. I'll find out more as well as we come to chapter 7. So who is Melchizedek? He's a high priest that we meet in Genesis 14. Then he disappears before featuring in Psalm 110 and here in Hebrews. If we were to simplify it massively, distill it massively, probably not do it enough justice, we would say Melchizedek was from a different order or a different department of priests. He wasn't from the line of Aaron. Jesus is a different high priest too. He's not descended from Aaron. Or, but from David, he's a different type, he's a different order of high priest and he's been specifically appointed by God for a specific task to represent God's people perfectly, to do what the other high priests could not do, which is what we see in verse 9. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So, Jesus is the eternal son, the eternal high priest who provides eternal salvation for all who obey him. Which means he is eternally, he's eternally doing this work. Irons line would, would die and pass on their title. Whereas Jesus is eternally, forever, representing his people before God. He doesn't just have access to a temporary tabernacle or temple. He represents us before God in heaven forever. Not just once a year, for all time. Let we read from 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying to them, why would you want to go to an earthly high priest with limited access, limited ability, limited life, limited sympathy, compared to the Son of God who has infinitely better access, better ability, and will never stop interceding for you? He's all you need. To go from Jesus to something else is like, in modern terms, going from a Michelin star chef to McDonald's, from watching uh, rugby in a box in the Millennium Stadium to a 1920s TV, going from a private gig with your favourite artist to a pirated CD with one headphone. You're going from something so, so much better to something so much worse. Perhaps a have a way to think about Jesus' rule is from a legal perspective. The Lord Jesus gets access to the highest authority in our country, the Supreme Court. He then is legally representing you, the lawbreaker, as your lawyer. And whenever all the evidence comes out condemning you to die for being a lawbreaker, he then says, I'll pay for this. I have paid for it and my blood will always be sufficient to pay for this. Incredible, right? This is what you need. Your greatest problem, your greatest need dealt with by your high priest. Whenever we get that picture of Jesus, we may think, well, okay, he's obviously incredibly powerful. If he's ascended into heaven, he's before the majesty of the Father. But can he really relate to me? Does he really know what my life is like? Does he really know what's going on? Well, we see in verse 15, don't we, how he sympathises, how he relates to us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, we've seen this language before in chapter 2, verse 17, right? We have it it now in a slightly uh, different way. But the summary is that Jesus knows exactly what it is like to be a human. He's tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin. Which means whenever he sees you struggling in your fight against sin, he understands the struggle that you're facing. He's been there. He gets it. He understands it. Perhaps that's a wee bit too abstract. So, you know, in all the ways we're tempted to sin, he's been tempted too. Have you ever been hungry? He has. Have you ever been tempted to misuse your power? He has. Have you ever created something that disobeys you? Thinking of children. Well, he's created the world, obviously. He has. Have you ever been exhausted? He has. Have you been slandered? Have you lost a family member? Have you lost a friend? Have you been betrayed? Have you been single all your life? Has your soul been overwhelmed by sorrow? He has. He knows. He knows. And yet he didn't sin for your sake. And he also doesn't cast you aside and say, I don't want anything to do with you. He knows. Why would you go to anyone else? This is what you need. The one who has sympathy for you. I remember whenever my mum had cancer, there were times whenever people showed me sympathy, and whilst I greatly appreciated it, I couldn't help but feel like, thank you, but you don't really get it, do you? You don't understand the emotions, the hurt, the pain, the confusion. Whenever I met someone who had been through it, and felt their sympathy, it was such a comfort, because they got it, they understood. My friends, go to your high priest, go to him, cling to your confession. Our, our time is basically gone, but you'll notice the, the picture painted of Jesus in chapter 5, verse 78. It's basically an illustration of chapter 4, verse 15. We read, During the day of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Many commentators note that this is a picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. near The ultimate temptation, the ultimate test for him where he prayed to the Lord that he would not have to suffer. And yet he was told by God, "No, in order to be a faithful, merciful and sympathetic high priest you will have to suffer. And how does he respond? He submits to the Father's will. Isn't that the hardest thing? Whenever you know it's going to be hard and doing it anyway. You know, someone might listen to this I think. I know God speaks to me. And it hurts because he says I can't have this relationship. I know God speaks to me. And it hurts because he's asked me to, to go somewhere. And do something that I don't want to do. Friends. Look at your high priest. He knows. He knows what it's like. And he went to the cross for you. C- consider. Nothing that he asks of you is too much. Nothing he asks of you is too much. And it's not something that he has not experienced himself. He is all you need. So in light of this, how should we respond? We should have confidence. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that you may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, if he really does speak to us. If he's given us a better high priest. If he died for you. Rose for you, lives for you, give a spirit to help you. How can you not be confident that he wants to help you, is able to help you, and will help you in your hour of need? Turn to him, come to him, he's an expert on the human heart, he knows you at your worst and still loves you and still died for you, and he lives to lives to to plead your case before God to help you in your hour of need. He's all you need. So go to him.